for the next couple weeks, we're going to be looking at this whole topic of reset. And we're really going to camp out in the book of Galatians. And the reason I feel like God gave me this this title reset is because this is going to be an actual time of reset where he's calling us back to that place to where we first started, where we first started in our faith with him. I heard Bill Johnson say something, um, I don't remember exactly how he said it, but, but to say that we've found Jesus is like saying somebody was running through the woods away from somebody in the complete opposite direction as fast as they could, and when they got as far as possible away from them that they, that they possibly could, they stumbled, that person was in front of them, and they said, oh, I was looking for you. <laughs> the fact that we found Jesus, it's more the other way around. When we weren't looking for him, he found us. And that's where we first started. I know like for me, for myself, when I first started, I was not looking for him. He found me and he revealed himself to me. And that's all that mattered. That's all that mattered. Because of my faith in what Christ did, that made me right with God. And I feel like that, that word reset, that's where we're going back to. We're going back to that place. And, and I think Galatians is just going to be the vehicle um, to do that for us these next couple weeks. Um, but let me just explain really quickly what I mean by reset. Um, recently, we went on a, a trip to Florida for spring break. And I don't know if any of you do this. I don't like driving. So I'm always concerned about where I need to turn next. And even if we're on a stretch of highway for like 250 miles, I'm constantly looking at this and looking at this, and am I going to make a right turn and whatever. I just don't like long-distance driving. Um, So what I'll do is, even though I've got my phone and I know when I need to turn and everything else, um, on the little odometer deal, I'll know, okay, I've got 57 miles until I got to turn toward Indianapolis. So I'll hit reset, and I'll wait till it gets to about 55, and just so I don't make the wrong turn, I'll check my phone and be like, okay, 55, 57, I know, I'm weird, but 55, 57, okay, it's getting close, whatever, and so once 57 comes, it's like, okay, where do I got to go next? Okay, 257 miles this way, okay, reset. So I don't actually have to start over where I came from. Once I get to Indianapolis, I don't say, okay, reset, drive all the way back to Michigan and 257 miles that way. And I feel like that's kind of a picture of what God's saying about reset. He's not saying that we've got to go all the way back and start over again. It's not game over, next player. It's hit reset. That leg of the trip is done. We're going back to zero, back to baseline, and here we go again. And that will start to make sense a little bit more as I start to unpack this. Um, But Galatians, why Galatians? Galatians is really interesting. Um, When I knew I was going to be speaking about Galatians, I thought, okay, cool, I'm going to start to really dig into the history and start to go Rick Renner on it or like Ray Vanderlaan or something like that, which is awesome. And we were talking about history earlier today. Um, Jared loves the history of the churches and everything, and I was really looking forward to that and getting excited about that. Um, But I clearly heard, heard that's not the direction. But what was going on in Galatians at the time, why Paul wrote the letter um, to the people in Galatians was because they first received the gospel, the pure gospel, in its truest sense. 
that the right way, the only way to God, right standing with God is through Christ Jesus and him crucified. They got that. They understood that. But then something happened. Another gospel came into the mix. And really what it was, the Jewish people were telling the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, they were saying, look, Christ isn't enough. You got to add all of the laws. You got to add the law of Moses along with it. And it created this false gospel. And Paul is so adamant about how this isn't the right gospel that he, he starts off the letter in, in this book extremely, extremely strong with strong words. And all throughout the entire book, he uses very, very strong words. But he's saying, look, if anyone preaches another gospel to you, let that person be cursed. Like, the very thing he's trying to save people from, not being cursed by sharing Jesus with them, he's saying, if anyone tells you something different than what I told you, let them be cursed. So as much as he's trying, as hard as he's working to get people free from the curse, he's saying, look, I am so serious about this that let these people be cursed. I mean, it sounds like a kingdom divided. But that's how adamant he was, that it's Christ alone. It's faith God's grace in Christ alone, that's what makes us right with God. And so really it was a time for the Galatians to reset as well. And just a side note, Paul, um, most of us know Paul in the Bible. I won't get too much into that, but Paul single-handedly, other than Christ, did more to advance the gospel than any other single person. He's got some authority to what he's saying He's got a passion for it. He's got this mandate on his life to make sure that the gospel goes forward in its purest sense. And once he heard that it started to get a little bit tainted, he said, I've got to do something about this. I've got to write to these people. I'm going to slap them upside the head too. Paul had a way of doing that. You want to have a great conversation with Pastor Merle? Ask him to talk to you about Paul. We have Paul conversations all the time. And we talk about how Paul has a way of taking you behind the shed and really letting you know what's up. But then he'll buy you an ice cream comb afterwards. And he'll say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's, it's okay. Jesus loves you. Let's keep going. And that's kind of what he does. That's what he does all throughout this book. And one thing that I also want to encourage you on while we're talking about this is when we read the Bible, so when I started studying this whole, this whole book of Galatians, I just want to encourage you that the Bible, when we look at it and when we study it, it's meant to be read book by book, not necessarily verse by verse. There's certain applications for that. Obviously, if you're doing like a, a topical Bible study or something like that, but try reading something a book at a time. It will completely revolutionize the way that you see something. And like for this instance in Galatians, you get a full picture of what is really happening here. You get all of the context. You understand Paul's heart at the beginning. He comes out, out of the gates with extremely harsh language. He's, <laughs> I'm not going to go there yet. I won't go there yet. I'll save that for later. Um, but so really what, what Galatians is about, two main themes. There's two main themes in Galatians. And the main themes are doctrine and unity. Those are the two main themes. So tonight, we're going to tackle that subject of doctrine. 
And what we're really going to look at is the difference between living by the promise or living by the law. See, this is something that Paul saw that was sneaking into the church of Galatia, and he saw that the law was sneaking back in to what God had already set forth, what he had already told them was the right way, and that was Christ, Christ alone and him crucified. That was the right way to God, but he saw the law starting to creep back in again. And I heard... um, Peter Adam, I don't know if anyone of you know who Peter Adam is. He's a good Bible teacher. Um, He said, in God's math, addition to God actually means subtraction. So in this case, addition to the gospel actually means you're taking away from what Christ actually did. To say that Jesus Christ alone is enough for your salvation, for your justification, for your righteousness... To say that Jesus Christ alone is enough and to add the law to it, you're taking away from what Christ did. So in God's math, addition to God always always equals subtraction. It just doesn't work. You can't add to what God's already done. You can't say, yeah, this is good. God's done this. We're going to add this to it and make it better because you're taking away from what God did. And what God's already done is perfect. So Paul saw this. He saw this going on, and he needed to address it. And we're actually going to camp out around Galatians 3 tonight. We'll see how far we get. We're going to kind of just see what what God does with this. Um, But I want to start, actually, back up a little bit. Um, We're going to start in chapter 2. I think you guys have it up on the slides. Um, Chapter 2 Verse 19, there we go, sweet. We're just going to jump right in and go for it. It'll all make sense in the end, trust me. So it says, for when I tried, this is Paul talking, he's talking to the church. He said, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I, sorry. I should probably read the translation that you're reading. That might work. I'll switch to my phone. I saw Jake earlier today, and I was like, dude, do you have an ESV Bible? He's like, no, I'm running all over the place looking for an ESV Bible. That probably would help things out a little bit. There we go. We're on the same page now. It says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I'm going to say that again. If righteousness was through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So Paul saw this. He's saying that if the law was good enough, we wouldn't have even needed Jesus. He wouldn't have had to endure that. If all we needed was the law, Christ wouldn't have had to have died. When we say the law, I just want to talk to you briefly just to clarify what he's talking about. The law contained everything from the Ten Commandments to moral laws, social laws, food laws, purity laws, feasts, sacrifices, and offerings. Listen to all these offerings, the sin offering, the burn offering, the whole offering, the heave offering, the Passover sacrifice, the meal offering, the wave offering, the peace offering, the drink offering, the thank offering, the the dough offering, the dough offering, the dough offering. 
crypto. Okay, go figure. Incense offering, red heifer, the scapegoat, first fruits, etc. So these people were like, okay, we're not going to take something simple that God did. We're going to add all this to it. Because that's not good enough. Paul's like, what, what are you talking about? God's trying to make this easy for you guys. Seriously? So when I use the word law, that's what Paul's referring to. But he says, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. See, we understand that somewhat because we can look at the law and think, okay, there's no way I'm going to give a dough offering. That's just ridiculous. So let me say it like this. If keeping the law would make us right, there'd be no need for Jesus. If the substitution of giving, serving, doing, routines, whatever you want to use to fill in the blank, Bible studies, scripture reading, coffee talk at Starbucks with your friend, but it's biblical, outreach, feeding the poor, all those things are good. But if the substitution of those things were good enough for our right standing with God, there'd be no need for Jesus. It changes things a little bit. Because something funny happens after we give our life to Christ and if we're not careful, we can substitute what Christ did on the cross for all of these other things and think that we're still doing, still living, we're still right with God. I'll turn it on me a minute. When I became a pastor, the reason I became a pastor is because somebody recognized my relationship with God. That's the only reason I started working here out of a relationship with God. That's the only reason. God was doing stuff in me and it was based upon my relationship with him, who I knew I was to be as a son. But what happens if you're not careful, and this happened to me, is as you start to do the role of a pastor, you start doing the weddings, start doing the funerals, start praying, start speaking, whatever it is that you're doing as a pastor, ministry calls, walk-ins. I mean, Tony, you've probably got a list a mile long of things that pastors do that I'm not even aware of yet, so I'll stay naive, so please don't tell me. Um, if you're not careful, those things will take you away from what originally got you there in the first place. And you start to become dry. That happened to me. You think that you're doing these good things and that's what makes you right with God. And what Paul's saying here in this context is no, 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 no. What makes you right with God is Christ alone on the cross. Because of your faith, 
because of God's grace and the two of those things combined set you free, that's what makes you right with me. It has nothing to do with doing. It has nothing to do with striving. It has nothing to do with the law. It has nothing to do with all of the offerings, of all of the festivals, of all of the feasts. If anyone tries telling you that you gotta observe feasts, look at Galatians. If anyone tries telling you you gotta do this, 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 and then you'll be more right with God, look at Galatians. And it can happen to any of us, no matter where we are. It happens in the workplace. We can start a job doing one thing and get so far away from it And the reason why we got there in the first place was because of the excellence that we had in this one area, but because we jumped so many different departments, we got so far away from the thing that we were good at that we don't even recognize ourselves anymore. That's what Paul's saying. Look out. This is what can happen. You take away from the simplicity of the gospel and start adding to all of the works and everything that you want to do, your routine. He's saying, look out. It's a trap. It leads to death. The law led to death. I just want to pause here for a moment. You guys can come up. I just want to pause here for a moment. I want to say this. This is a challenging message. It was a challenging message for me to put together. And it's, it's kind of a challenging message. And we'll get a little bit deeper in a few minutes. And if you're hearing this in a way that it's like, man, he's really coming after me, that's not it at all. In Christ, there's no such thing as condemnation. None. I want you to replace the word condemnation tonight. And if this is the only thing you take away from tonight, then it's worth it. So that kind of means this is important. Don't ever hear condemnation again. Hear opportunity. A tough message like this does not condemn. It only gives us an opportunity for a greater fullness that we were originally destined for. So if you're hearing what I'm saying right now in a way that it's challenging you to where it's almost like, oh my gosh, I don't like this. This doesn't feel good. see it as an opportunity because it's not condemnation there's no such thing it doesn't exist in Christ so the reason why I want to pause here is I just wanted they're going to do one more song we're just going to take this time to reflect Paul saying if keeping the law would make us right there's no need for Jesus if the substitution of everything that we think that we need to do for God to make us right for God. If anything's become a substitution for what originally made us right with God, just use this time of reflection to go to him. It's an opportunity. God points these things out to us for a reason. And if I'm the only person that he pointed it out to, well then guess what? Thank you. Because of you, he pointed it out to me. 
but I have a feeling that it happens to every single one of us because it's our natural desire to take the ball and run. That's, that's, that's what our culture has taught us. That's, that's what this world, that's our natural desire to want to do. And even if it's out of a good heart, the things that I listed, the outreach, the Bible studies and all of that stuff, those are good things. They're out of a good heart. They're out of a wanting to do things with God. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but if they've become a substitution to what got you there in the first place, Paul's saying, whew, not good. Later on we'll read, he actually calls people fools. I'm not gonna call people fools. Because <laughs> I would be one of them and I don't wanna call myself a fool. I just invite you to close your eyes right now. And Father, we're just gonna use this time just to reflect. And Father, I just ask that you would reveal anything to us that has crept into our life as a substitution for what your son has done. Father, we don't mean to do it. Because of life, it happens. And when you show us these things, it's because you're a good God and you're wanting to let us know that it's all right. So Father, just use this time as a time to reset and bring us back to the first thing that brought us into right relationship with you. Our chaos back into all. 
orphan, a son and daughter, the King of glory, the King of glory, who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all of its brilliance, the King of glory, the King above all This is amazing grace. This is a family love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free oh jesus i sing for all that you've done for me there's such a simplicity to the gospel that it's almost freeing. <laughs> I don't know, after times like that, I almost feel like a little kid again. After times of going to God and he reveals something to you and, and he just completely sets it right again, he hits that reset button and you can continue on your trip to Florida. It's like a pressure valve has been pushed. That's all he's doing. That's all he's doing right now in this moment with this, this message of reset. He's not saying we're doing anything wrong. He's saying, I love you so much, I want you to understand what's right. So I hope that was beneficial to you. I hope that God is still continuing to do something in your hearts. And we're just going to go a little bit deeper um, with the time that we have left in Galatians and just kind of paint maybe just a little bit better of a picture as to what Paul's really trying to say here. So continuing on, chapter 3, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has cast... In Sorry, wrong translation. I did it again. Thank you, whoever caught me. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, Are you now being perfected by the flesh? See, the law is based on works. It says we must do this. We must do that. We can't do this. We can do that. It ultimately leads to death. The law leads to pressure selfishness, arrogance, and ultimately despair because we can never do enough. 
it brings us to a place of despair. But God's promise, the gospel, is a life lived by grace of love, life, light. Instead of us saying, I must, I can't, I have to, God says, I will. Paul's warning them there's another way. He's saying, I'm calling you foolish now, but later on in chapter 3, that was the shed part, the foolish part. He took him behind the shed, called him a fool. But later on in chapter 3, he brings him around to the life of Christ, sons and heirs of the king. There's the ice cream cone. He had a way of doing that. Continuing on, we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up in um, seven, three, seven. Just says, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be anyone or everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. He's calling us to live by faith. That's where the right standing comes from. That place where we first started. That place where we first started. Where he found us and because of our faith. He said, you're right. The law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That's what got us here to this place. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one into your offspring who is Christ this is what I mean the law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void for if the inheritance comes by the law it no longer comes by promise but God gave it to Abraham by promise why then the law? 
it was added because of the transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels. Is the law contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. How many of you have faith in Christ Jesus? You are all sons of God through faith not by anything that you've done or can do or will continue to do. Through faith, Paul says, God says, you have been made right right with him. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for all are one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Y'all, all y'all are part of Paul's testimony. Think about that. Paul's work here in Galatians ultimately will lead you to a conversation someday, I'm sure in heaven, where you're like, hey, I'm Andrew Storm. He's like, oh yeah, you're part of my testimony. Hey, I'm Shane Wieringa. Yeah, you're a part of my testimony too. Remember that one time, that cool time? You guys will be talking about it. Be like, yeah, one crazy guy on stage was talking about your letter to Galatians. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. This applies to all of us bringing us back to that simplicity of the gospel, that reset, that reset moment. And from there, living life forward. Pastor Bernie, if you'd come up here, please. The next week we will dig into this a little bit more. But one of the things I want to point out is when Paul wrote this letter to Galatia, he he didn't say, oh, you foolish Tom. If your name's Tom, I'm sorry, I just picked Tom. He didn't say, oh, you foolish Tom. Oh, you foolish Betty. It wasn't single people. He didn't write this to single people because he wrote it to a group of people. wrote it to a group of people who were dealing with something. It was never intended for an individual to deal with. 
He's saying, you, as the church in Galatia, all of you, all of y'all that we talked about, together, together in Christ. Support one another in this. You aren't to do it alone. That's our charge here tonight. This isn't an individual thing, although it is, but it isn't. This is a church thing. We all have that choice to make, that simplicity of the gospel, but Paul's writing this to us, all of us, because it takes all of us to do this thing together. I called Pastor Bernie up here because I just want you to close this out whatever way you see fit. As, as Ryan was talking, the Lord put something very specific on my heart, and that is this, that there are some of us in here that as we've looked at, and as even as we've heard, as we've lived our lives, we've looked at ourselves and we, we viewed our Christian life as like a checklist where we've gone, okay, I read my Bible and I go to church and I'm good and I don't drink or smoke or chew or run with those that do and all this little checklist thing, you know. And um, if you live your life um, that your Christian life, your relationship with God is a checklist, you're going to live by the law. And if you live by the law, you're going to be disappointed all the time because we were not called you're, you're called to good works but the good works are not our focus the good works are the byproduct of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and there's very specific the, the word that the Lord just very strongly instructed me to share is this that there is at least someone in here that God wants to get this particular message to, and that is this word right now. So pay attention. God is not disappointed in you. Someone's looking at themselves, and you might have blown it this week, or you might have missed the mark, or you have been doing something that you don't really like, or you got a bondage in your life, and you might think, man, I'm really a disappointment to God. And the Lord just really prompted me to say that he is not disappointed in you. He is thrilled over you and he loves you desperately and he needs you to not judge yourself. The Bible says don't judge others, but also stop judging yourself and realize that Christ died for you and that he loves you. He carries your photo on his phone. You know that? God has your photo on, on his phone. When he looks through his phone, your picture's there. That, that's what he thinks about you. He is not disappointed in you. You may be disappointed in yourself, but God is not disappointed in you. He loves you and he thinks the world of you. So much so that he sent his son for you.